what is the difference between STDs and STIs? What are some ways same-sex couples can practice safe sex? How can you get tested for STIs and STDs? Sexually transmitted infections, or STIs, are incredibly common. Over half of people in the U.S. will have an STI at some point in their life. But despite being so common, we still approach STIs with a lot of stigma and shame, and maybe we avoid talking about them at all. On this Back to Basics episode of the Women's Health Cast, our guest experts, Dr. Ryan Lewellwitz and Dr. Paula Cody, were going to talk to us about safe sex, preventing and avoiding STIs, and how to find testing and treatment if you think you might have an STI. From the Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology in the University of Wisconsin School of Medicine and Public Health, I'm Jackie Askins, and you're listening to the Women's Health Cast. Let's welcome Dr. Ryan Lewellwitz and Dr. Paula Cody back to the Women's Health Cast for today's Back to Basics episode. We are going to be discussing safe sex and sexually transmitted infections. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Thanks again for having us. Yeah, appreciate it. So as I mentioned, um, today's interview, we're going to be talking about safe sex and sexually transmitted infections. And I know this is a big topic. We're going to have a lot of ground to cover. So it feels like a good place to start is um, just what do we mean when we say safe sex? I think safe sex actually can encompass a lot of different things. Um, I think one, when the first thing that comes to mind for a lot of people is protection from sexually transmitted infections. But I also think that safe sex also is um, sex that's free from violence or coercion, um, free from, you know, stigma. Um, and so I think, I think those all encompass safe sex. Um, I think probably for the purpose of this podcast, though, I think we're talking more about protecting um, you and your partner from um, sexually transmitted infections. We usually try to say safer sex because any sort of intimate contact, there can be some sort of risk, right? But um, safe sex is, in this context, we'll be referring to preventing infections in pregnancy. Great. Let's talk about um, sexually transmitted infections first. What are they? Um, what are some examples? Well, it's, um, again, we refer to them as infections because it can be anything from viruses to bacteria and parasites um, that um, basically are passed from one person to another person during sexual, a sexual encounter. Um, examples, um, you know, gonorrhea, chlamydia are both bacteria. Um, HIV um, is a... Um, a virus, you have things like herpes simplex virus, and then um, things that, you know, people may not know as much about is like trichomoniasis, which is like a, a parasite. Um, and um, and syphilis is a spirochete. And yeah. Yeah. So people can um, encounter sexually transmitted infections due through sexual activity. I guess it's kind of in the name a little bit. Well, any intimate um, contact, again, back to one of our prior things where we had to define what sex is, right? Um, a lot of times people feel like if, you know, if it's not penis, vagina sex, you're not at risk for infections. And it's actually any court kind of intimate encounter 
um, can lead to um, some infection. So even um, pubic lice, or no, I'm, I'm using the air quotes, but crabs, again, that is um, close contact. It's not necessarily needs to be penetrative sex. How common are sexually transmitted infections? I know that's a big question because we've just talked about how many infections fall under this sort of umbrella. But um, yeah, I guess in, if, if we can lay out a general sense of how common these things are. They're fairly common. Um, you know, if you look at the CDC data, they say one in five people, which seems incredibly high. But um, I think, I think um, one thing is that we don't, when we think about STIs or sexually transmitted infections, a lot of times we think of like things like gonorrhea, chlamydia, um, and we don't necessarily include human papillomavirus or HPV into the picture. Um, and that's where one, I mean, when you look at the data, that's far and away the, the most um, prevalent. Um, and so, so I, that's, that's how I think we get to that one in five um, and a lot of these infections are asymptomatic, so patients don't really even know that they've had it or been exposed to exactly. it. Exactly. And like Dr. Luella said, uh, it's hard to actually get um, an accurate number because um, one in five is our best guess, but it's actually probably more than that because um, you can have infections and have no symptoms of it, so you have no idea. And even screening practices, which are... Um, recommended by the public health um, of the government. So the United States Preventive Service Task Force, USPSTF, releases guidelines about who we should be screening. So screening for infections means we're, we're checking for the infection when symptoms aren't there versus testing for it when someone comes in with symptoms of an infection. And so, again, who we screen um, is going to impact how many people have infections that we are aware of. So people can have inf- long answer, meaning there's lots of people who have infections that we have no idea that they do. So I wanted to ask about that. If someone has an STI exposure, you know, how how do we know that we've had an STI exposure and do they all have noticeable symptoms? And I know also that's hard to answer because symptoms are different across these many different um, diseases that we've mentioned, but, but it kind of sounds like not necessarily, you may not know. Um, does that seem accurate? Yeah, definitely. Um, I've, you know, I offer screening to many patients who don't have any symptoms just because, you know, I think it's good practice to offer that to patients. And we definitely have patients who come back with positive results and didn't realize that they had an infection. Um, I know one physician told me a story once about a patient that they saw who had vision changes and they diagnosed them with, um, syphilis, but this was probably, you know, over 20 or 40 years, somewhere in that range of when they actually, you know, contracted the, the uh, infection. So yeah, it can definitely be, um, you just don't, you, you may not even know that it's there. And the recommendations for screening, there are very clear recommendations for screening, for example, um, females under the age of 25 who are sexually active, and also men who have sex with men, but there um, aren't great guidelines as far as screening um, men who have sex with women, even though obviously it's possible that men who have sex with women also have infections. It's just the the guidelines for screening aren't there. So they're, again, how 
How accurate are any of our numbers? We really don't know. Do you have a sense of what's a good practice for a person to just be on top of their sexual health? And um, yeah, I'm as a person, like how often should we think about having STI screenings just sort of in a prevent, not a maybe kind of a preventive sense? There's not really a, a specific guideline. Um, I usually, well, one, anytime I'm doing a pelvic exam, I offer it to my patients because Literally, it's an extra Q-tip for me. And um, I. it also can sometimes, I think, take the burden off the patient to directly ask for testing because it may be something they're embarrassed about or they're just, you know, they don't know how to ask. So that's where I always offer it. Um, and if I do offer that, I always offer blood testing as well because some tests, some STIs you have to look for with blood. Sometimes you use um, like swabs um, or cultures or different things to, to figure it out. Urine. Yep. That's another great, great source. Um, so, and then, you know, for my patients that come in, um, you know, anytime there's a concern, if, you know, they had a sexual encounter, um, with a new person or, um, let's say they leaving a relationship, um, just anytime there's, there's a concern, I just encourage them to come in, get tested. Um, I would hope that no providers are, are judging the patients, you know, I mean, what, what you do with your time, you know, as a consenting person is, is, is your business. And we're just there to help you um, stay healthy. And um, so I had mentioned the difference between screening and testing. So screening is when someone comes in, there's no symptoms and it's, it's more of a routine thing. And so there are guidelines specifically for that. And that's the USPSTF ones that I talked about. Um, now, testing is for when there's actually, um, there's a concern for possible exposure so um, or symptoms. So if someone has um, someone w born with a vagina, I guess, would be um, if they have um, pelvic pain, if they have vaginal discharge, if they have bleeding when they're not supposed to be bleeding, which is a common one. Sometimes people forget that when they're coming in with irregular periods, it's actually not their periods that it's irregular. It's they're having bleeding because of an infection. If they're having pain when they urinate um, for people with penises, if they're having pain with urination, if they're having um, any pelvic pain, even though, or not pelvic, is it pelvic pain? Yeah, I guess. Any lower abdominal pain um, or any, any symptoms that just you feel funny because there's also um, things like HIV. The initial symptoms of that is a flu-like illness. And so anytime there's any concern for any sort of symptoms, um, talking with your doctor is really important. And then um, hopefully the doctor is asking in a very non-judgmental non way um, a, a social history, which includes a sexual history, and um, making sure we can help get to the bottom of whatever is causing those symptoms. How does someone prevent or lower their risk of um, encountering a sexually transmitted infection? The best way to actively, um, other than abstinence, I guess, you know, which again, I, I, yeah, which I don't think is realistic for most humans. So, so then the ways you protect them yourself, um, and again, your, your, your partner as well is, um, condoms for males are very important. Um, being aware if there is like, if you have something like a lesion or you're feeling something that's odd, knowing your own history, 
I mean, and then not engaging in sexual contact when you have a concern that there could be an STI um, or that your partner may have, you know, an STI. Exactly. So, so barrier methods are, like Dr. Luellowitz said, are very common. There's two different, or there's two different kinds of condoms. There's the, um, the they used to call it internal and external condom, I think is still the proper name. So the external condom is the traditional condom you think of that goes on a penis, but there's also the internal condom that goes up inside a vagina. Um, and then there's also other barriers like dental dams or um, gloves that can be used as well for, um, again, trying to do a, a protective barrier between the, the skin contact because not all infections are transmitted through bodily fluids. Sometimes it's actually direct skin contact. Um, other things to help um, to help lower your risk of either transmitting or getting a sexually transmitted infection is knowing your own status. So getting either screened or tested if you have symptoms, and if you making sure you you follow the um, the recommendations for treatment, because if you don't do the full treatment, you might not completely eradicate the disease and make it more likely to. Pass again, making sure that if you do have one, you let your partners know so your partner can get tested and treated as well. Can I ask a quick follow-up to a word you mentioned? Yes. Um, you So you described um, internal and external condoms. You also mentioned dental dams. Mm -hmm. What is a dental dam? A dental dam, um, there's commercially available dental dams, which are it's like a sheet of latex that you put between you and your partner um, where that's, that intimate contact is going to be. So, um, for example, uh, you, during oral, oral sex, you can put it um, on the vulva, over the vulva, and it is separating your mouth from the vulva. That is just one example. There's other uses for dental dams. Um, those are commercially available, but there's other ways to um, make dental dams or um, barrier barriers if you don't have a dental dam. Um, handy. So, for example, cutting open a condom and laying that flat. Um, same thing with a glove, using a glove and cutting that open, or even um, a barrier method like saran wrap. Although um, that hasn't been studied and I'm, I, it's not as effective as the latex ones, but there are, if you don't have one handy, there are ways to still um, lower your risk. I was going to mention um two um before we got on to dental dams is that um there's also expedited partner therapy so even if um even if your partner can't get to the um physician or their own physician there are for certain stis uh, specifically gonorrhea chlamydia um you can and trichomoniasis you can um you can give a prescription for treatment um, to your, to, we can, we can send one home with the patient and they can give it to their partner. Um, and then that way they're able to access treatment and not necessarily even go to a physician. Correct. And in Wisconsin, expedited partner therapy is available for, um, gonorrhea and chlamydia and trick. Um, in other states, um, a combination of one or all three of those may be available. So it, um, what is a, what is available does depend on your state, but um, that is something to make sure you talk with your doctor about. And um, like Dr. Luellowitz said, your doctor will give you, hand you a prescription to give to your partner that they don't actually have to get tested, that we, the benefit of treating 
far outweighs the um, barrier of going in to get tested. And um, one last other thing too is um, if a patient um, does have a partner with a um, STI like HIV, which is um, non, there's no cure for it at this time, you can actually give a patient something called PrEP which is pre-exposure prophylaxis and a patient can take that and then lower their risk of contracting the virus. Um, and so again, if, if you have a partner who is, you know, diagnosed with HIV, um, it's something you can talk to your doctor about getting that medication. Um, and then when it comes to HSV or herpes simplex virus, um, patients can take medication on a regular basis to prevent outbreaks from happening. And that's called, um, it's just prophylactic medication. And so it's something that you, that the patient would take, um, if they know they have it already. I feel like we could spend an entire episode on each of these STIs alone, almost, cause there's so much to learn about each of them. Um, I want to ask in the general sense, if it, it sounds like they're treatable. Um, that if you encounter an STI, there are, uh, important and necessary follow-ups you can do with your healthcare team, um, to treat it. Even if like something you mentioned, like HIV, also, um, human papillomavirus, um, herpes simplex virus, they're not curable. Um, but there are things that are important to, to do to take care of yourself afterwards. Um, yeah, I guess, I, I just kind of want to verify that many of these things are treatable and like there are things healthcare teams can do to address them. Right. So there's uh, prevention is always our, our primary goal. Many infections there are cures for. So the ones we've talked about, gonorrhea and chlamydia and um, trick, those there are cures for those. Um, some, once you actually have the infection, you have the infection, but we can decrease the burden that infection will be on you. For example, um, for herpes, you take medication to try to prevent outbreaks, and it also can decrease your risk of transferring it to a partner. I mean, the, the, I think the bottom line is that they're all treatable to a degree, you know, um, even if that treatment is just, or even if the treatment is... Um, stopping the progression of of the illness or preventing further um, outbreaks or symptoms. And it is important if you are diagnosed with an infection, either through screening or through um, actual testing because you had symptoms, it is really important to actually go through the treatment um, for the infection because many of these infections, whether or not you've had symptoms, actually can lead to some pretty significant downstream consequences like infertility. You can have an ascending infection, meaning the infection is going from the vagina up into your your pelvis, like the uterus, the ovaries, the fallopian tubes. Um, you can even have an impacts on the liver. Um, some things you can have full body um, reactions to. So HIV, herpes, gonorrhea, those kind of things, if they're not um, identified and not treated properly, you can have very significant um, health consequences down the road, which is why screening is important, which is why testing when there are symptoms is important and making sure that if you are diagnosed with something, complete the treatment that the doctor recommends. 
We've mentioned HPV, human papillomavirus, a couple times, and I want to talk a little bit about the HPV vaccine because this is one that is um, actually preventable through a vaccine, which is really interesting to me. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that or if there are other STIs that can be prevented, not just through barrier methods and safer sex, but also through like this proactive step of a vaccine? Yeah, there's, there's, there's basically two... Um vaccines that you can receive which can prevent sexually transmitted infections. One would be the hepatitis B vaccine, which um, most people in this country get um, right after the, they're born. Um, and then the other one would be the um, human papillomavirus um, vaccine, which is, or Gardasil is kind of the brand name for it. Um, and what Gardasil in, in particular um, it, it may not prevent all forms of human papillomavirus because there's different strains of it, but it prevents the most common ones that lead to cancer. Um, and so patients who have that, um, it drops their rate of, or their risk for cancer by a substantial amount. I can't remember the exact number off the top of my head. And it's not just cervical cancer, right? Studies have shown that the vast majority of head and neck cancers are related to HPV, the same things that would be prevented in the virus. And so we always think of cervical cancer and the pap smears, but it's also head and neck cancers, penile cancer, anal cancers. Um, vast majority of those types of cancers are also HPV related. I'm so glad that you mentioned like head and neck cancers. And, you know, I think a lot of times when we talk about the HPV vaccine, we talk about it exclusively in the sense of preventing cervical cancer. So who should get it? It's like young girls, but um, it prevents types of cancer that can occur in any body. So it's really worthwhile. And HPV, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the most common. I think you actually already mentioned this, Dr. Lowell. It's It's incredibly common. It's really, really out there. Like, 80% or more of people who are sexually active might encounter it. I, I think I'm not yeah, quite right about estimates that. Are, estimates are somewhere in the range of 80% of patients have been exposed in their lifetime. Mm -hmm. And HPV, there's a number of different strains of HPV. So a couple of the strains cause genital warts. A couple of them cause different kinds of cancer. And um, the, the current vaccine that um, people are getting, I believe, is, has nine different strains yep. of HPV. So we've reached the end of all of my questions, everything I prepared for this conversation. Um, but once again, we've got some uh, questions that were submitted by uh, Patch Youth Advocates, youth advocates who work with providers and teens communicating for health here in Wisconsin. Um, let's uh, listen to a few of the questions that they submitted for us. What is the difference between STDs and STIs? Well, these terms are used interchangeably. And so when people mean STI, STD, they're used interchangeably. The actual technical thing is that the STD or the disease is what results from the infection. So that's the, the technical thing. But in, in all reality, STD and STI are interchangeable. What are some ways same-sex couples can practice safe sex? As we kind of talked about in the episode, you know, safe sex is, um, you know, we talk about like, you know, barrier protection, we talk about contraception, and then we also talk about, you know, sex that's free from coercion. Um, I think, you know, for same-sex couples, these same 
principles apply. So one, you know, practicing safe sex is, you know, where you're free from somebody trying to pressure you or, you know, coerce you into um, any sort of sexual act. Um, when it comes to like physical um, barriers, you know, there's, we've talked about condoms, dental dams, um, you know, um, abstinence is always another option as well. Um, also, if you do have a sexual encounter getting and you know you're concerned about STIs then getting screening done or seeing your primary care provider or your pediatrician or your OBGYN to get testing um, so I think again a lot of the, the principles that we talked about earlier in the episode apply to same-sex couples as they apply to you know um, opposite sex couples or anything in between so, so. right and a, and a way to assure that you're um, practicing the safer sex options that Dr. Luellowitz talks about is also making sure you're going into um, each sexual encounter um, able to give consent. So sometimes things like alcohol or drugs might um, lower, dis- lower your inhibitions and make you do things that normally you wouldn't, or I guess uh, you would go along with things you normally wouldn't go along with, and maybe you would you know, where some, you would insist on using a condom normally, and you might not do that then. Just again, making sure that you are able to give consent and that consent is um, obtained through multiple time points during the sexual encounter. And just because someone gives consent at one point doesn't mean that they've consented for the whole rest of the time or every act that is happening on. So consent and actual protection are both important. And, and I don't know if we specifically said this in the episode, but, you know, STIs can be spread through oral intercourse. They can be spread through anal intercourse. They can be spread through, you know, just skin to skin. Yes. Skin to skin contact even. Yeah. So, so, you know, like, like any sexual contact that you're having has the potential to, you know, you know, I guess, um, contracted an STI. And so, so protecting yourself, you know, you know, using condoms, um, during anal intercourse can be just as important as, as vaginal intercourse. Um, you know, you may not be worried about a pregnancy at that point, but again, there still is a chance for, you know, an STI. So how can you get tested for STIs and STDs? Yeah, I mean, one, you can go and see your primary care provider, your pediatrician, your obstetrician-gynecologist. They should be able to provide you with testing. Um, They're also, depending on where you live, there can be free clinics that that will provide um, testing for patients with walk-in hours. Um, Planned Parenthood is also another great resource for someone if if you don't have any other clinics available. Thank you so much for joining us over the last several episodes of this Back to Basics series. In a couple weeks, we will put out our final Back to Basics episode, which is going to be all about birth control. Dr. Luelwitz and Dr. Cody will walk us through the birth control products on the market, how they work, and how to choose a good option for you. The Women's Health Cast is a production of the UW-SMPH Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. This episode was produced and engineered by Rob Garza. 
You can find the Women's Health Cast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find the Department of OBGYN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WISCOBGYN. Let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us in your podcast app and let us know what issues you'd like to learn about at the link on our show page. Thanks for listening.